Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from First Orlando. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at firstorlando.com. And if you're in the Orlando area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now, enjoy this podcast from First Orlando. Good morning, everyone. You know, one of the most amazing things to me in terms of gifts that God has given all of us are five physical senses. Wouldn't you agree? The ability to see, be able, the ability to be able to smell, to taste, to hear, to feel, or to touch. Now, all these physical senses are intended to inform our body so it can, make, it can sort out and make sense of the world in which we're experiencing in any given moment. And what we want to do is we want to pay attention to those senses so we can make good decisions. Back during the height of the pandemic, I unfortunately didn't use one of my senses the way I needed to. I walked into Chipotle one evening. I was going to pick up dinner for Cronin and myself, and there wasn't anyone else in line, so I just marched right up to the front of the serving line, and the lady immediately said, Sir, you have to put on a mask. I went, I... I'm sorry, I wasn't even thinking about that, nor was I trying to make a statement. She said, the sign on the door said that. I said, I'm sorry, I didn't say it. I said, I don't have a mask. Well, you have to have a mask. I said, well, do you have a mask for me? No. I said, then what am I supposed to do? And she said, what you need to do is to pull your shirt over your mouth and your nose. So without thinking, my shirt was untucked. I reached down to the bottom It was not one of my finer moments. <laughs> sir, sir, she literally, she started backing up. You know, everyone on the serving line was backing up just like that, you know. And I, I don't think I represented Jesus well in that moment, okay? <laughs> now, so I should have picked up the clue phone the moment I started doing this, and fresh wind blows across my stomach. As I was feeling that, something should have shut me down right there. Now, I know for some of you, that may beg a bigger question. David, please tell me you weren't wearing a First Orlando shirt. (laughs) Well, as we say in the South, I can't rightly recollect, all right? So senses aren't all the body does, but senses help our body grow and mature and sort through and make good decisions. The same thing is true with spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts really help in our ministry that we all have to the church as well as the world in which he's placed us. The last six weeks, Pastor Dave and Danny have talked about the person, the power, the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Well, today, we're going to put our focus on this right here. What we want to see out of Scripture is we want to see that you've been given unique gifts. You've been given spiritual senses to demonstrate Jesus in your world. You have been. Every one of you, every one of you watching right now, you've been given unique gifts that today we're going to compare to like spiritual senses in order to demonstrate Jesus to your world. Now, there are actually three different lists of gifts in the Scripture. In a few moments, we're going to camp out and spend most of our time over in Ephesians 4, so you can open your Bible, you can turn over there, turn your device over to there. But let's look at the first two real quickly. The first one is found over in Romans chapter 12. It says that the Holy Spirit has given some of us the gift of prophecy, some the gift of serving, some the gift of teaching, some the gift of exhortation, some the gift of generosity, some the gift of leadership, some the gift of mercy. 
And then it goes on over in 1 Corinthians, and it gives us another list. Some of us have been given the word of wisdom. Some of us have been given the word of knowledge, the word of faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits and tongues. And then it wraps up the second list by talking about some of us have been given the gift of healing, helping, miracles, administration, and various kinds of tongues. So when we look through those first two lists, notice how some of them feel very, very familiar to us, like the gift of leadership or mercy or generosity, things like that. That feels familiar to us, right? But then there are other gifts that are listed there that feel really strange in the moment like tongues and healing and distinguishing between spirits. What in the world is that all about? What can be helpful is for us to realize that most all of us here, we interpret life every day through a Western mindset. We interpret Scripture through a Western mindset. We're trying to figure out where are things logical, concrete, you know, linear in nature, where it can help us make sense of the world. But Jesus and Paul had a Middle Eastern mindset. They were able to embrace the mystery of things that aren't always logical, concrete, and linear in nature. Some things are in life, and many other things are not. So tongues is a great example of this. In fact, the last few weeks as you've been texting in and uh, sending us various kinds of questions for this series, the number one question that's been asked is what is it about the gift of tongues? It, it seems bizarre, it seems strange to me. What is that all about? So the bottom, let me just briefly address because tongues is an example of mystery, all right? So over in Acts chapter two, it tells us the first category of tongues that we see in scripture. And it's tongues as an actual foreign language. This is what went on over in Acts chapter two. When the Holy Spirit fell on the men and women, there that particular day, and they begin to speak to other people from other nationalities with a foreign language that was understandable to them, but was not a native tongue to those that were delivering it. A second type of gift when it comes to tongues that we see in Scripture is tongues as a personal prayer language, okay? So here's what, they, let me just share with you a verse right there that has to do with this. Over in Romans chapter 8, it says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. <laughs> wordless groans. I've used this gift. I've had lots of experiences with this gift over the years. And let me tell you, when I tend to use it or when it tends to kind of get activated in me, let's see if you've ever been in these situations. Sometimes when I'm experiencing awe and wonder in worship, I'm on a boat out in the water, or I'm in nature, or I'm reading Scripture. Sometimes when I'm having these experiences of awe and wonder, I just tell the Lord how it makes me feel, and I just express my gratitude and as to who He is and all that. But sometimes I run out of words. Has that ever happened to you before? Had an experience in here and other places where you're like, you use all the language you have, and then it's like there's something else that still needs to be said. Oftentimes, I'll use this when I'm interceding. I'm praying for other people with deep, significant needs that are going on, or for myself, or for our family. I'll be able to do that. But this gift isn't extra special. It's not something everyone has to do. It's just one of the many gifts. And the third expression of tongues that we see in Scripture is when it's a message from the Lord that the Lord gives to someone. They speak it in tongues, and that's interpreted to a group of people. 
Now, 1 Corinthians says there can be a lot of trouble and misunderstanding with this gift, so there are certain prohibitions that it gives. That's why here in Orlando, I mean here at First Orlando, we believe in all the gifts, but if you feel like God's given you that, we would ask you to come to see one of us as pastors and help you discern, you know, what that message is and the best delivery system for it. But let's turn now over to Ephesians chapter 4, all right? We're going to focus on this, this third list right here in Scripture because I think it's a fantastic way of really being able to summarize the primary groupings of gifts and how they can express themselves in our everyday world. So back to verse 7 or back to verse 11. It says right there, no, actually, let's read the whole passage there. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service. So the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now I tell you, when this passage and others I'm reading, where they come alive to me is when I understand the background. So Paul's writing to a group of people that he's calling the Ephesians because they live in the first century city of Ephesus. You'll find that in modern-day Turkey, the archaeological remains. Some of you may have been there before. I have. It's just amazing, absolutely amazing. But back in the first century, Ephesus was the second largest city in the world. There are like 250,000 people that lived there. The only one that had more was Rome that had more than a million people. But here there are 250,000 people in Ephesus. And guess what? None of them had any synagogue background, church background. They weren't Christian. They were trying to figure out what does it mean to be a Christ follower that Paul and the rest of his team began sharing with them. And they were trying to sort out, do, do I need to become a, a Jew? I mean, can I still be a Gentile? So that entire city was trying to figure out what does it mean to be Christian? They had no background for it whatsoever. So one of the things Ephesians was written to do was to help them sort through so who does Christ use to do his work in the world? And he provides this list. Now, fast forward 2,000 years later, I think one of the great tensions for Christ followers is they want to be difference makers where they live, but often they just don't feel like they're holy enough or spiritual enough the way people often perceive that pastors are. You may think that pastors in a church have the most holy calling. That is not true. The holy calling that God's given to pastors is holy and is awesome. But you know what? God, if you're not a pastor in church, God has given you just a holy of calling and gifting in your life to use you where you live, where you work, and to be able to uniquely express himself through that. So let's go back to verse 7. It says, to each one of us, every one of us, it says, has been given this charisma of the Holy Spirit, this supernatural ability that represents a part of the ability of Christ he wants us to express to the people he's brought in our life. And he goes on there in verse 11, and he lists apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Well, you need, and we'll kind of unpack more of these in just a moment. You've got to know that all five of these, Jesus was the ultimate in every single one of them. But you need to understand this is also a significant part of the nature of God. God's got all of these in him. 
He incarnated himself through creation and later on in Christ with all five of these things. And then it goes on and it says all of this is for the purpose of equipping his people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up so we might become mature, so attain the fullness of Christ. So again, using these spiritual senses for the body here, for the world itself to become filled with the fullness of God. So let's go back. Verse 11, and let's break down. Let me describe each of these five gifts. And I want you to identify which one or several of these that perhaps Christ has activated on the inside of you, that the Holy Spirit just pours his jet fuel on, and you're able to be a difference maker where you live. So again, Ephesians 4, it teaches us that every one of us have been given unique gifts, spiritual senses to make a difference in our world. Verse 11. Verse 11 says, first of all, it says some of you have been given the gift of being an apostle. What does it mean to be an apostle? The word apostle just simply means someone that's been sent. So here's a simple definition for it. Apostles help the church and the world see where God is sending us next or where God's calling us next to. So an apostle does that. Some of you have that gift. You're able to see before other people where God wants to send us, what God wants to do next in the church and in the world. Now, when we talk about an apostle, we're not talking about one of the original apostles, okay? So there's 12 that have a special place in Scripture and in church history. So any of you that might feel like you have a gift of being an apostle, we're not saying that you have a special chair that's been reserved for you around the throne. We're just referring to the very fact that God has ignited. Let me give you some examples. He's ignited some of these very things here in the 21st century. Some of you may find yourself with the ability to be a founder or a designer or a visionary or a pioneer in your field or a strategist or an innovator. Do you know anyone that falls into some of these examples? Or perhaps yourself right there. A couple months ago, Many of you heard our, our own first Orlando here, uh, Pat Williams interviewed here on stage. He was brought into Orlando back eons ago to be able to usher in the age of the Orlando magic. Well, we hadn't had such an entity in this town. So a part of uh, Pat, he has an apostolic gift of being able to create things that don't exist in order to move uh, us toward a further destiny. Now, Pat, Pat is very, very, very engaged as a Christ follower. He regularly would integrate his faith into the sports world and built out an amazing franchise for many years. The only thing we need Pat to do these days is to bring back Shaquille and Dwight Howard. How many of you would agree with that? Okay. Bring back those glory days, okay? So, but Pat is an example of a modern-day apostle that does that. Now, I know some of you are going, wait, 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 wait. It's one thing to be a pastor of a church. It's another thing to be the president and founder and visionary and strategist of a sports team. Where is God in that? Oh, God's all over that. God's all over whatever industry or skill set you have. Check this out. Over in Colossians chapter 3, it says this. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for who? Working for the Lord. Not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. I love this last part. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. 
that you are serving, that you are serving in your day in and your day out life. So then it mentions a second category of prophets. There's apostles, help us see where God's sending us, calling us to next. Prophets tend to help us hear God's voice. Are the people of God regularly responding to the voice of God? Now, in the performing of this role, often prophets will use a sense of urgency or boldness to them. They regularly identify where there are pockets of injustice and where reform needs to be brought about. <laughs> I think of Jesus. Jesus demonstrated this prophetic gift when he had walked into the synagogue many times and seen all these money changers that were flat out ripping off people, absolutely ripping them off. And one day, in the words of the famous theologian Popeye, he just, I can't stand it no more, all right? I mean, Jesus had, to, like, I can't see this anymore. So he goes in and he flushes out and removes all those money changers. So that's an example. We often see that with Old Testament prophets where they were going for reform. They were going for justice. Here's some examples of modern-day prophets, people that are politicians sometimes or advocates or aid workers or artists um, or environmentalists where they see a wrong that's there and the Holy Spirit speaks to them and helps them move it in a whole new direction. Do you find yourself in this list? Do you know of other people that exemplify? And again, these are just simply examples. Then the third category, so apostles help us see, prophets help us hear, evangelists help us taste the goodness of God. Are people experiencing being able to taste the goodness, the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God for their lives? Eugene Peterson uh, is the translator. He created the message translation of the Bible that's been so helpful to so many of us over the years. He's also one of the foremost spiritual uh, thinkers in the, 21st, uh, in the 20th century. And last year, I was reading Eugene's biography. He was talking about he was raised in Montana, and um, at, when, he, when he turned six and seven, he went into the first grade. And he said from day one, there was this older, stronger kid than him or bigger kid than him by the name of Cecil. Cecil would harass him all the time. And then it began to develop over the next several weeks that every time school was over, Eugene would walk out of the house or walk out of the school to go home and Cecil will corner him and just begin to beat him black and blue. Eugene describes in his book how he endured those beatings for several months because he'd been brought up with his mom and dad with scriptures like, bless those that persecute you and turn the other cheek. But then Eugene goes on to describe several months later, something snapped on the inside of him. He just exploded. Let me read his words. He said, for just a moment, the Bible verses disappeared from my consciousness and I grabbed Cecil. To my surprise and his, I realized that I was stronger than he was. I wrestled him to the ground. I sat on his chest. I pinned his arms to the ground with my knees. I couldn't believe it. He was helpless underneath me. I hit him in the face with my fist. It felt good, and I hit him again. By this time, all the other children were egging me on, cheering me on. I said to Cecil, say uncle, or say give up. Cecil wouldn't do it, so I hit him again. More blood, more cheering. Now my audience was bringing the best out of me. This is what Eugene said, okay? 
And then all of a sudden, my Christian training reasserted itself, and I said, Cecil, say I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord. He said, Cecil wouldn't say it. So I hit him again, more blood. I tried again, Cecil, say that Jesus is your Lord. After several times, Cecil finally said, Jesus is my Lord. Eugene Peterson said, Cecil was my first Christian convert. So <laughs> I don't, I'm really not sure what else to say about that. Now, I don't think that, you know, Eugene was the best example of being an evangelist. When you and I have some impulse of the Holy Spirit around evangelism, it's where we identify bad news in people's places and we bring the good news of the gospel in that. And there's so many different ways of doing that and exemplifying that. Here, here's some examples, again, in the 21st century. People that sometimes that are salesmen or journalists or recruiters or achievers or storytellers or marketers are really good at doing that. They first of all start with a felt need, but then they can accompany it with some part of the kingdom of God. So a good example of that is here at First Orlando, we've got a guy by the name of David Fletcher. He's usually in our earlier service. And uh, I got acquainted with David the last couple of years. He and I were, went out to breakfast together last year. And David, he, he spent his entire career in marketing and advertising. He was really, really good. He's very successful at it. And then a number of years ago, he finally retired, hit the age of retirement, and retired. And I was asking him what his daily routine was these days, and he said, well, the community where my wife and I live, we've got a community pool. And so late each morning, I go out, I get in the pool, and I greet people that are coming into the pool. And I just try to encourage them. I ask what's going on in their lives. And then I try to speak something good into it. He said, some people, like, they want to keep talking. So we get up and we get, sit in the chairs and we'll do that. He said, some people I've invited out to lunch that I met there in the pool. And over time, I'm able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. Isn't that awesome? How many of you would prefer pool evangelism over door-to-door -door evangelism? Just check, doing a quick check-in there for all of us. So another one on that list is shepherds or pastors. So apostles help us see, prophets help us hear, evangelists help us taste the goodness of God. And then pastors and teachers... They help us care for people. Here's a simple way. They help the church and the world to touch those that need care and protection. Now, this word shepherd or pastor, we know it traditionally represents leaders in the church that are called pastors. But can I tell you, there are thousands of you here in this auditorium and watching online or on TV right now that you're a pastor. Many of you are a pastor right here in this church. Many of you pastor where you live and where you work all of the time, where you represent the caring heart of Jesus. I think about a couple in this service, usually in this service, uh, Mac and Rhonda McAteer, and they sit in a particular section of this auditorium uh, most every Sunday. And Mac and Rhonda are fantastic at identifying when someone's new. So they'll go over and introduce themselves, and they'll just express care for them. Then they regularly look around when they walk into the auditorium, and they see certain people that are missing. 
They pray for them. When they see them a few weeks later, hey, is everything okay? They express care. Some of those people they've taken to lunch and taken to dinner. Mac and Rhonda are examples of fantastic pastors that are operating here inside of this church, but also tend to do that where they work. How about you? Again, broadly applied, shepherds and pastors can very often be caregivers or defenders, peacemakers, first responders, healers in the medical industry, coaches or counselors or HR. So those are examples of that. By the way, how many of you know someone with one of these impulses and abilities? How many of you find yourself just naturally being this person? That's Jesus wanting to demonstrate himself to the world in which he's placed you using those very things. And then teachers, teachers. Apostles help us see, prophets help us hear, evangelists help us taste, pastors, teachers uh, help us, you know, be able to feel. By the way, our own pastor, David Youth, is a master at being a pastor and a shepherd. I've learned so much from him. I've learned so much from him over the last number of years because that's not my natural inclination and ability. So I've learned so much from watching him do that. I think that's a further reason why First Orlando is kind of known as the church of the city because we try to shepherd where there's pain. We try to bring care to this community and beyond. So it's a great thing. And then this last thing, teachers. Teachers help us smell if something is truth or not. Teachers are people that help us transfer knowledge and information, skills into our lives that are rooted in God's Word. Jesus, we know, was an amazing teacher. So broadly applied, it can look like this. Sometimes people that are sages or professors or school teachers, people that are philosophers or scientists or engineers or researchers often fall into this category. See, all of these are unique ways of incarnating Christ to the church and to the world. Which function best represents you? Now, while we all, because we have the, the very presence of the living God on the inside of us, all of us have some measure of all five of those, but we also have a predominant gift that comes most natural to us, and we have a secondary gift that's in that. But here's what I know, based upon the teaching of the Word of God. The church needs all five of these gifts operating it for her to become all that God designed her to be. And the world needs all five of these gifts in order to become what God has intended the world to become. You have been given unique gifts, spiritual senses to demonstrate Him in your world. Now again, I know the tension for all of you is, or for many of you, I don't know if I'm holy enough or spiritual enough. Can I just lean into that and go, the wiring that God has given you is a holy wiring. What you do is not secular, and what we do on this stage is sacred. What you do is sacred because the Spirit of the living God is in you and has gifted you, and He creates these spiritual impulses inside of you to be able to help people make sense of bringing the kingdom of God to the kingdom of this earth. Never forget that. All of you are representing Christ where you live and work. I look around this room, and those of you watching online, I think, my God, the, the potential 
of you and I being able to uniquely express to tens to hundreds of thousands of people here in Orlando and beyond. It's absolutely extraordinary. That's why the more each one of us can step into the grace that's been given us, the more we're going to see a kingdom impact. Now, some of you may say, David, how do I discern uh, you know, which spiritual gift I have? There are lots of different ways. Here's a quick example. I look for something that brings a person personal fulfillment they really enjoy, but professional fruitfulness they're really good at. I know some people that really enjoy what they're doing, but they're not all that good at it. <laughs> I know other people are really good at what they do, but they don't necessarily enjoy it. It's the intersection of those two things that can often help us discern where God might be at work in us. But all of these gifts, they're intended to help you and I do the following. First of all, to see like Jesus. It's all in how Jesus looks at people. I, for me, sometimes I look at people in a good way, but other times I get irritated or I'll feel comp competition that's there, or I'll look at their life through some lens of envy. But if Jesus were in my place and in your place, he would look at them through a redemptive lens. There's one person, that person right there is one prayer away from being adopted into the Father's family. Last year, we were coming home one night, and this lady ran a red light and crashed right into to Corona and I. And now she is suing us. Okay? So imagine that. So do you think I feel the love and the joy of Jesus toward her? <laughs> Not initially. Not initially. God's been having to work on me the last couple of weeks of being able to see even that person through a redemptive lens rather than someone that's messed with my own program. How many of you would say this week, I want to have the eyes of Jesus and see him the way, uh, see others the way he would? Can you just raise your hand and say, I okay? Not only to see like Jesus, but to be able to feel like Jesus. To feel like Jesus. That's, the Bible uses the word compassion, to be able to feel what someone else is feeling that's hurting or in need. You and I often walk around, people in our everyday world, they don't necessarily mean all that much to us. But can I tell you, every person you ever lay eyes on every single day Jesus goes, there's one I'm crazy about. There's another one I'm crazy about. There's another one. There's another one I'm crazy about. It's just all in how he sees and he feels for people. How many of you for this week would say, I want to have the heart of Jesus toward the people that come across my path? Raise your hand and say hi. Say hi. Okay, there you go. And then to be able to respond like him. All of the spiritual gifts are intended to help us see and feel and then respond or do. So who is God prompting you to love like this this week? Will you join me this week inviting the Holy Spirit to use your gifts to help you represent him where you are? The number one evidence of the filling and the anointing of the Holy Spirit in your life and in my life is love. That's why I think it'd be appropriate if we'd all stand right now, and I want us to read responsively 1 Corinthians 13, or a portion of it. And here's how we're going to do it. I'm going to read what's in white, 
and then when we hit the yellow, you jump in and join me, then I'll go back into the white, okay? So let's use this as a scriptural declaration before we leave today. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, that's what we want to be most true about us. This week, we invite you to ignite within us that supernatural ability to see others like you do, to feel for them like you do, and to respond to them like you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If something from today's message or the worship or some part of the service really connected with you and you'd like to talk with someone about it, you just simply uh, text the word CONNECT to 40777. Also next week, Pastor David's going to be back with us. He's going to wrap up the series on the Holy Spirit as well as walk us through experiencing communion together. Hope you have an awesome week. Great to be with you today. Thanks again for listening to the First Orlando Podcast. For more information like our service times, location, and other contact information, be sure to visit us online at firstorlando.com. Have a great week.